Hey, everybody, good afternoon. I know you can't say good afternoon because you're eating right now, but I, I felt the love. I felt it from you guys. So you guys made a great decision to be here. Uh, how many of you guys were here to just hear Lance a minute ago in service? Wasn't it awesome? Yeah, so we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, he's going to give us kind of some more thoughts, some devotional thoughts on things. There's also some exercises that he's going to have you. Does everybody have a handout? If you, if everybody's got handouts, okay, um, they'll get it to you, great. And then if you don't have a pin, there's one in your seat back. I know that's a little awkward to reach back there, but maybe someone can help you get a pin. And um, let's pray, and then I'm going to turn it right over to Lance so we can kind of maximize this. Feel free to eat. That's not uh, rude. Uh, this is a lunch session, so feel free to finish up your lunch. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for sending Lance back to uh, City Church. We are so thankful to have him as a partner, as a mentor, and we just thank you that you're going to continue to speak to us. Uh, Lord, continue to use him to encourage us, but also challenge us and help us to be honest on these assessments. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the greatest year of our life uh, starting today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I'm not sure what to think of you guys. Like gluttons for punishment, I think, is the phrase that comes to my mind. Um, but I am grateful that you would spend a little time and we could take the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. So I wanted to get very practical and very specific in the time that we've got this afternoon. And um, like all good pastors, I have to start with a Bible verse. So I'm going to start with Ecclesiastes 5.18, and I think you do have an outline of the message if you want to follow along. I'm going to keep the kind of devotional time, maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to work through a couple of exercises that are going to give you some practical takeaways as you move in to your week. So Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes 5, and he says, even so... I've noticed one thing, at least, that is good. Now, remember, Solomon at the time, richest man ever to have lived, had experienced everything, had anything and any experience that money could buy. And here's one of his conclusions. Well, I've noticed that at least one thing is good. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. Now, when I read that verse, my thought is, really, Solomon? Like, that's all you got? Eat, drink, enjoy my work? I mean, there's not really much inspiration or sizzle in those words. It's not exactly a great marketing slogan. Solomon's words seem pretty ordinary. Like, in all that I've experienced, Solomon says, here's one good thing. Like, Learn to enjoy the life you've been given, even if it's ordinary, even if it's no more spectacular than just eat, drink, and enjoy your job. And again, it's amazing that that comes from such a person, but I do like the fact that at the end of verse 18, he says, accept your lot in life. There is something helpful and even liberating Instead of always looking and wishing I was something else or had somebody else's reality or had somebody else's life, that I just come to this place where I go, this is the life I've been given. 
and it's not perfect, and it's not without its problems, but it's a gift, and I'm going to embrace the one and only life I've been given, even if it feels ordinary. And so I would say to us that if we want to really maximize and optimize and steward well the one and only life we've been given, we have to start by focusing not on what's out there and what somebody else has and a a vision that some person on social media paints for us, but we begin with embracing how to do daily well. So that's why I put the title of your outline there, The Discipline of the Daily. And I think learning how to maximize our everyday lives is an important key to fulfillment and meaning in life. Because one thing you do have control over is how you do today. How you love your kids today. How faithful you are today. How filled with the Spirit you are today. How generous you are today. How diligent you are today. And I love that quote I put there in your notes from John Maxwell. The secret of your success is determined by your daily agenda. Not by your five-year plan necessarily or the vision that you have, but by today's agenda. So I, I, as I thought about this in my own life, three practices that will help you steward well the time you have. And so let me just walk through these. Number one is get crystal clear about your values. For a lot of us, the reason life feels cluttered and even frantic and sometimes confusing is that we've never really stepped back and taken the time to ask ourselves, so, what really matters to me? And not listen to what other people are saying, but like, no, really examine, like, based on your walk with Christ and what you know about Scripture, what is it that you really value? And it wasn't that long ago, I was going through Viktor Frankl's book called The Meaning of Life. He's a, a survivor of the Holocaust and has some very insightful things to say. But one of the quotes I pulled out of his book is, man is pushed by drives, but he's pulled by values. So that to me is very profound because I think about when I was a younger man I had all this energy and drive in my life, and I was pushed by those drives to be successful, to accomplish a lot, to, you know, uh, get married. And so I, I had these drives inside of me that were pushing me and determining how I was living and what I was chasing after. But I think now as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser and more mature, there are some values that I've identified that are pulling me. And now, instead of being driven almost by these desires and accomplishments and energies to, to get after some things in my life, I feel like, no, I've identified that's the kind of life I want. And I'm now being pulled and actually arranging my life around the things that I say matter most to me. And what I find is I work with a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of leaders. They've never taken the time to really identify what matters most to you. 
What, what do you care about? At the end of the day, what do you care about most? If, if, if you die, what, what is it you would want people to say about you at your passing? So I, I read this book recently that talked about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Like virtues that I want to say, hey, here's who I am as a professional versus here's who I was as a person. And so a few years ago, I created something I now call my life manifesto. And it's a set of statements that are sort of the anchor values of my life. And if we could sit down and talk through my life manifesto, there's a story attached to a lot of the values that are in there. And if you can think about my life manifesto as kind of a trellis. So some of you have a trellis at your house or you put a trellis out on, your, on the front of your house. A trellis is a structure. But a trellis, the point of the trellis is never the trellis. The purpose of a trellis is to allow a beautiful vine to grow on it. And my life manifesto is a trellis on which I can grow a beautiful life. So like one of the statements in, in my life manifesto is that I want to be an available grandfather and invest in the lives of my kids and grandkids in their spiritual development. Well, that comes out of a story because as a younger pastor, so consumed with leading the church and growing the church and building the church, my wife and my kids often took a back seat, and I have some regrets about the lack of time I spent investing in them. I feel like I was giving myself to invest in everybody else's spiritual development, but not so much my kids. So I've decided now that I have four beautiful granddaughters, two that are 11, two that are nine. One of my highest commitments is I want to be an available grandfather. That is shaping how I think about my calendar and where my time goes. Another one of my statements in my life manifesto is, is that I will be my wife, Connie, her, her best friend and biggest cheerleader. Because there are plenty of years when in our marriage, she took a backseat to my ministry and sacrificed so that I could be a pastor. And, and often um, her life got overshadowed because of my life. And so I've committed in these years, and I remember when I left Saddleback, she went through a really dark season of depression. Just felt lost, not sure who she was. I think she began to realize her identity was tied to being a pastor's wife way more than she realized. And I remember it was in those dark years that she sort of stumbled upon this deep love for painting, and that she has a real gift and an artistry about her that had always stayed buried all those years. And I remember coming back at times when she was so depressed and I'd been on the road and I would just say to her like, whatever it takes to help you thrive in this season of life, I'm committed to that. If I have to leave my ministry job to help you flourish as a person, I'll do that because you're, who you are as an individual is no less significant than who I am. And so whatever it takes for me to be your biggest cheerleader, I'm committed to doing that. Well, guess what? That has implications. And, and declaring that as a value changes how I spend my time. 
And so I would say to you that if you really want to, to steward your life well, and in my recent book that I wrote called Your One Life, I have a whole section on there on writing your own, fam- your own, minister- or your own personal life manifesto. And so I would encourage you to just sit down, take a half day, and get really clear about what really matters to you and what really are your values. And so I want to give you this little equation. I've used it a lot. I'm sure I've used it with the team here before in the past, but I think it's helpful for our discussion this afternoon. Clarity plus courage plus calendar equals simplicity. All of us desire to live a more focused, simple life. So here's a formula. Clarity plus courage plus calendar. Let me unpack that in just a minute. First off, the starting place is to get clear about what really matters to you. Identify your values. And get as specific as you can about what really matters to you. Write it down. Spend some time thinking about it. But then it's not enough to get clear. You have to then have the courage to order your life around those values. And by the way, here's what I discovered. When you get clear about what you value and you begin to make changes in your life, not everybody's going to like it. Because there have been people who've had been used to you interacting with them and saying yes to them in certain ways in the past. And when you begin to say no to some things, not everybody's going to stand up and applaud. But honestly, at the end of the day, I go, it just doesn't matter because I'm responsible for my life. And I'm going to be accountable to God for the one and only life I have. And so I have to have the courage and the guts to actually change some things in my life so that I can live according to what I say I value. But then thirdly, at the end of the day, it always comes down to your calendar. It comes down to where do the hours and minutes and days go. Um, And like I said in the service earlier, your calendar is where your values and your time converge. So get clear about your values, begin to have the courage to actually move in that direction, and then let your values be reflected in how you schedule your life and your time. Make sense? All right, so get clear about your values. Number two, focus on the 1440. You say, what's that? Well, that's how many minutes you have in every day. And you need to get very specific about where those minutes go to. Annie Dillard has said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So focus on where do the hours and the minutes go. And that means being very proactive with your calendar. I want you to hear me carefully on this. What gives your life credibility and even spiritual authority is not closing some huge business deal. It's not owning a successful company. It is in the mundane daily habits and practices of your life. So let me say that again. What gives your life credibility and moral and spiritual authority is not your amazing accomplishments. It is in the mundane habits and practices of your daily life. I put this quote in there from uh, Tish Harrison Warren. I love this. 
She says, the crucible of our formation, and by formation she means the kind of person that you're becoming. The crucible or the petri dish in which your values in life is formed, listen to this, is the anonymous monotony of your daily routines. And she's right. Again, nothing sizzling about that. Pretty ordinary, but she's right. So I, I just sat down and I began to think about, okay, what does this look like practically? So I, I began to think about like daily routines like committing to your family having dinner together three or four times a week. That's a monotonous daily routine, but it shapes the formation of your life and your family's life. Your daily time in the Word. How consistent is that for you? Because I'll tell you this, the depth of your spiritual connection with Jesus is very much correlated to the consistency of your time that you spend with him. Oh, let me give you one that's like, you go, really? You got to make, how much water you drink every day? How hydrated you stay? Like, come on, that's about the most boring non-exciting thing you mentioned, but guess what? It has everything to do with your physical health. Let me give you another practical one. Turning off your notifications on your phone, right? Your ability to stay focused and present with people has everything to do with how easily you're distracted. So I tell this story about, again, I, I'm one of those people that I don't like to keep emails in my inbox, some of you, like my wife, you don't care. But there's a notification if you have a Mac computer like or an iPhone. There's a little red badge that sits by your email that will tell you when you have unread emails or how many emails are in your inbox. I hate that. For me, it's like crack cocaine. I see it there. I have to deal with it. Like, who knows, Amazon might be giving me a new offer that I haven't seen, and I have to go see it. And so, so I, I've learned that I can actually turn off those notifications. But I remember one day I was sitting on a plane, and I got bumped up to, to first class, and there was a guy sitting next to me, and I looked over, and I noticed his computer, and he had the little red badge up, and he had this, like, big number of unread emails, and I and I couldn't see it exactly. So when he got up to go to the restroom, he left his computer open and up sitting next to me. And so I lean over and I'm not, I, like, I almost have a heart attack when I see he has 17,169 emails unopened in his inbox. Well, I can't, I can't deal with that. Like, so for me, that's a constant distraction. So Turning off my notifications is a very granular thing to do to actually help me focus on what I need to focus on. Okay, enough uh, diversion on that. But things like maybe learning to practice three minutes of silence in your day or actually scheduling to have a good conversation with your friend or doing date nights or putting your phone to bed at night before you actually go to bed, or putting white space between your meetings. When I was at Saddleback Church, our lives were so busy and so fast-paced that I would just go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting all day long, back to back, no time to eat, no time to go to the bathroom, no time to catch a breath. And one day I just had this epiphany like, I'm in control of my schedule. 
And so one of the biggest, best things I ever did, focusing on the 14, 40 minutes I have every day, is I began to put 10 minutes between every meeting. I now put 10 minutes between every coaching call that I do just to allow myself to catch my breath and to allow my brain to actually relax and to have a little moment to breathe for a few minutes. So Pastor Scott's going to talk about this next week, but maybe for some of you, one of the practices is you need to get your Sabbath on your calendar. And it needs to show up every week as Sabbath. And you don't call it a day off, you call it Sabbath. Because for most of us, our days off are just work of a different kind. So actually putting it on your calendar. My point is, it's Tish Warren's point. The crucible of your formation, of the character that you want to be, is determined by the monotony of your daily routines and habits. So you see, I see put there in your notes, pay attention to your daily rhythms. And again, there's nothing sexy about that, but this has been huge. If you want to become the kind of person that you really deeply long to be, you've got to get specific about what are my daily rhythms? What are the rhythms that help me, based on my wiring, be the kind of person that I really want to be? to be. And I just tell you, I'm over this cultural obsession we have with celebrity and greatness. Everywhere you go, people are telling you to be extraordinary, right? So we've adopted all these words like epic, next level, life-changing, historical, radical, world-changing, legendary. And everywhere we go, people are telling you, you got to be great, right? So you hear these phrases like, make a difference, leave your mark, make your life count, go big or go home. But I just think in our, con in our consistent and relentless pursuit to be extraordinary, we've minimized the importance of the daily routines and habits of our lives. So we have this plaque that sits in one of our guest bathrooms, and it's right above the commode, and here's what it says. Everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper roll. So be the change. And I love that. I think about a friend of mine in Montana. He had this global ministry where he was basically a pastor to YWAM missionaries all over the world. This guy has been everywhere, done everything. And you know what he's done for the last 18 years? His dad developed dementia, and he and his wife decided that really to do life well, they needed to take in his dad, and for the last 18 years, he basically put his life on hold in some respects so that he could be a caregiver for his dad, and I remember talking to him, and he said, the deepest desire of my heart is I just want my dad to be loved well. And for 18 years, he's been in the daily routine of just taking care of his dad. And so I want to take you to a verse of scripture that no one talks about much these days. It's on that second page in your notes. And here's what Paul says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Whoa, Paul, wait. I've never heard a, a pastor do a conference session on make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
Make it your ambition to change the world, save your community. Make it your ambition to, you know, be epic and great. No, Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Think about this. What if you put your best energy and your highest ambition into just leading a really good, quality, quiet life every single day? Let me say it like this. Instead of you trying to be epic, how about if you just nail Tuesday? (laughs) Instead of you trying to be radically world-changing, how about if you just crush Thursday? Like, what if that became the desire of our life? Now you go, oh, that's just too small of a goal. Really, look look at what Paul says at the end of these verses. At the end, he says, so that, what? Your daily life, not your epic accomplishments, so that your daily life would win the respect of outsiders. Wow. I love that. What if the key to a great life wasn't this great, extraordinary moment, but what if it was just living a great daily life? So get clear about your values Focus on the 1440, really take hold of how you spend the minutes of your days. And then thirdly, go granular, go very small. There's an old saying that we quote a lot, the devil is in the details. But I want to tell you, change and progress and growth is also in the details of how you get granular about your lifestyle and your habits. I read this quote recently that said, think in decades, but act in days. It's okay to think about 5, 10, 20 years out, but how are you living today? Are you acting in days? And so the question I want to ask you is, what is one small thing you need to do better? Can you identify, maybe you just write it down in your notes when you go, man, here's an area in 2024, this is where I need to take ground. Maybe it's your walk with God has become stale. Maybe you need to focus on your marriage. Maybe... You've recently, like my mom, recently became a widow, and you go, man, there's a lot of things I used to depend on my spouse for, and now i got to take ground in some areas that have not been part of my life up to this point. So where do you need to take ground? And again, don't don't fight off more than you can. Identify one area where you just need to get better. Can you, really, I, I mean, seriously, right now, I know it's Sunday afternoon, you've already been to church, but... What's the one thing that comes to your mind right now? Write it down. So we've all heard about, you know, commencement speeches. We've sat through them. Most of them are worthless, right? They're a dime a dozen. Nobody really takes them seriously. But there was a commencement speech given in 2014 by Admiral uh, McRaven. And last time I checked, and it's been a couple of years, It was downloaded more than 10 million times. And he shared some life lessons that he learned by being a Navy SEAL. And here was his first point in his message. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. And I go, yes. And then he says, the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. So what little thing, not epic 
legendary thing, but what little things? So I, I made a little list of some things you might consider, like getting to bed on time. Because whenever I coach leaders and we start to talk about their daily rhythms, and I talk about when your day starts, you know when their day starts? Honestly, it starts when they go to bed the night before. And so we always talk about what's your desired bedtime. And regularly, I have people tell me, yeah, we, we usually lay in bed and waste an hour just watching late night TV and totally messes up my next day. All right, well, if you're going to get serious about living the life you want, we got to start with when are you getting to bed and are you getting an adequate amount of, of, of sleep? Things like eating healthier in the evenings, being punctual to meetings, unplugging from your smartphone at night, exercising consistently, making your bed every day, doing the dishes after every meal, leaving the TV off one night a week, proactively one Sunday night a month, planning your calendar for the next month. Or like for me, with my mom now in her new season, like being proactive to make sure I'm calling my mom a couple of times a week and that I'm connecting with her. And so you focus on today, not someday, but you start with something small. So my, my point there, you see, is develop a small habit that can make a big difference. And the key here, listen to me, it's consistency. If you want to change your life, change your world by creating some small habits and then stick to them and be consistent. If you just took one micro step, one small thing you identified this afternoon and you were consistent with it for one quarter, you could actually revolutionize your life. And then here's the last thing I'll tell you. Turn your habit into a streak. So this comes out of a, a book I just read recently. It's actually called Streaking. For those of you who are around in the 70s, it's not that kind of streaking, all right? But it's about taking an activity and committing to consistency and beginning to develop a streak so that it actually has huge power in your life. So that over time, what begins to happen is the, is the focus isn't just on the activity itself, which would be helpful, but also you don't want to break the streak. So one, one great example of this, and he tells this in the book, is of Cal Ripken. How many of you know that name? Yeah, okay, a few old people in the room. Um, so Cal Ripken was a baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles. Do you remember what position he played? Shortstop or third base? So I hear some, I hear some both. So shortstop. Let's just go with that, all right? So Cal played, listen to this, 2,632 games in a row without ever missing a game. For 16 years, he showed up every day and played in a game every day. And in fact, if you go back and listen, and, and coming out of the baseball strike, a lot of people credit Cal Ripken's streak to actually helping baseball survive. So on the night he broke Lou Gehrig's record of 2,131 consecutive games, when he came out onto the field to play that game, the crowd went crazy. And so after he comes out of the dugout, they, they give him an ovation, and then he goes back in the dugout, and 
People are still standing and giving an ovation. So he comes out for a curtain call a second time, a third time. Ten times he goes into the dugout and comes back out and people are still giving him a standing ovation. Finally, one of his players that's on his team says, uh, if we're going to ever get on with the game, you should just do a lap around the bases and maybe they'll sit down. He does a lap around the bases. They won't stop. For 22 minutes straight, and by the way, this is on YouTube, 22 minutes straight, they give him a standing ovation. Longest standing ovation in professional sports history. Listen to this. All because a guy just showed up every day and did his job. They celebrated not a victory, not a championship that they won, but they were celebrating a streak. And I think it just demonstrates the power of you and I starting something, consistently committing to it, and then we get a streak going. And in the book, he says this, the success of keeping the streak alive will pay massive compound interest. So what one small thing, step, do you need to take that will create compound interest in your life? Now, all right, so I'm done. I want to now take you to a couple of tools that we're going to take 15 minutes or so to work through, and then we'll call it a day. So here we go. Take the, the, the last page, I think, is, is it replenish bucket? You have that? Everybody got that? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Now, this is something practical for you. So here's, here's the start of this. In each of those little circles above the bucket, I want you to write in those circles... Five things that when you do them, they fill your tank and they make you a better person. They make you come alive. Five things that you enjoy and that, that when you do them, they actually make you get filled up. All right? So take a couple of minutes, write them down, be specific. What are those activities and things that when you do them, they fill your tank. Now, if you can't think of anything, that's a problem. We need to work on your fun quotient. All right? So five things that when you actually do them, they, they make you better. They fill you up. Now, by the way, right now you may not be doing it very much, but it's okay to put it in there because you go, okay, it's something I'm going to strive toward. All right? Second part of the exercise, I want you to write either in the circle or right next to it, ideally, how often do you need this in your life? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Is it once a quarter? I would not advise you to put anything in here that you do less than once a quarter, okay? Because these are things that consistently and regularly we want to have in your life to keep you filled up. So... The five activities, how often you need them ideally in your life, okay? Next part of the exercise, I want you to write one of three letters in, in the circle. And it's the letters Y, G, or, uh, or R, R, Y, G, okay? Red, yellow, green. So what you're going to do is over a six, the last six-month period of time, 
does each of these activities get a red, yellow, or a green? A red is, yeah, it's really not happening in my life. I'm not really engaging in this activity. A yellow is, it's not great, but it's not terrible. And a green would be, I'm crushing it. Like this one is doing well in my life right now. All right? Red, yellow, green. All right, by the way, if you're married or you're just here, you have a good friend, I want to encourage you guys to share what you've done and then periodically pull this out and review it and go back and encourage each other and challenge each other with these things because these are the things that keep us filled up and keep us healthy as people. All right, I also want you, before we move off of the five things, I want you to circle or put a star by the one that is the most critical to you staying healthy and filled up, all right? So of the five things you listed, what's the one you really can't afford to neglect, all right? The final part of the exercise, you see the little square at the bottom, the little rectangle? That's whatever it is that drains your tank. So I want you to, now here's the only, the caveat, it has to be something you control, Okay? And I would not invite you to put your spouse's name in that box, okay? Something you control, but it drains you. Like, I had a pastor the other day, and he said, I, I'm in too many meetings. And so that's what he put in the box. And I also want you to put an R, Y, or G by that box. How much is that an issue right now? A red would be, yeah, it's really eating my lunch right now. Uh, a, a yellow would be, it's not great, it's not terrible, and a green would be it's not much of a problem for me right now, okay? So put whatever it is in that box that can be draining for you. All right, let's get this like little interaction here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to group up with one or no more than two other people, and I want you to share from your replenished bucket, what's one thing talk about that you go, I need this in my life, Here's how often I need it, and here's how I'm doing with that right now, all right? So we're going to give two to three minutes for this. Turn to somebody right now and share, all right? Go for it. All right, if you let me uh, have your attention again. If you really want to take this from just being an exercise on paper to something that will actually impact your life, I want to go back to what we talked about earlier, and that is take this now and let it get translated to your calendar. Where are you going to make time for this? Again, if this is really important, if this is something that keeps you healthy and keeps you filled up, where is it living in your calendar? Like if it's, if it's not showing up like, hey, on that third Tuesday of the month, this is what I do, or I'm going to take some art lessons and I'm going to, like whatever it is, that you make sure that it translates to your calendar because the premise is that when you're filled up, you're a better person, a better spouse, a better parent, a better friend, a better Christian when you're operating out of a full tank rather than operating on empty. And for so many years, all I did was work and there was nothing in my life that was, and I enjoyed work, but there was nothing outside of my ministry work that filled me up and I just know I got to this place where I was burned out. I felt empty, exhausted. And it's been fun over the last 15 years to feel like my soul is coming back to life as I'm finding and discovering other things that God has for me just beyond work. 
And I think for a lot of Christians I know, we are delight deficient. We need some things in our lives that bring us delight. All right, so I have about seven or eight minutes here to kind of wrap things up, and I want to take you to this Sabbath tool. So Pastor Scott is going to next week unpack this in the weekend service, but I want to get you started on thinking about what would a a life-giving Sabbath look like for me? And I think it's different for all of us, but, but the Sabbath is this idea that one day out of seven, I have a day that is set aside. It's not about work. It's not about obligations or the ought-tos of my life. This one day a week that God has commanded in the Ten Commandments, God has said, I want you to set aside this rhythm of life where work really hard, get a lot done on those six days, but let there be a day in your week that is not about getting stuff done. It's not about work. It's not about being productive. It is about rest, and it's just about being. Now, because it's a day of rest doesn't mean that you're passive for 24 hours or that you just hang out in your recliner. Maybe some of you need to do that for part of the time. But this is a day that should bring rest to us and fill us up. And so I've given you five words on this tool that will help you think about what would a a great Sabbath day look like for me? And so let me give you these five words. Prepare, because there's some work to be done to get ready to not work. Stop, the word Sabbath literally means in Hebrew just to quit or to stop. Nothing super spiritual. Like it's a day that you give yourself and God gives you permission to just unplug. And then the third word is rest. Uh, he says it's a day of rest. It's the Hebrew word manuha. It means to be at rest. Yes, it's physical rest, but it's also to be at a place of rest in your soul. The fourth word is the word delight, and this might be where your replenish bucket intersects with your Sabbath. Like, what are some things that you should do on a Sabbath that would fill you up and put life in you? And then the last word is the word worship, because it is a Sabbath unto the Lord. A Sabbath ought to take us deeper in our walk with God. And I remember when I first started practicing Sabbath, I thought the main idea was just so that I could be rested and refilled for the next week that was coming. But I think one of the hidden gems in Sabbath is this, is that it is a day where God set aside for us to not work so that we would have more quality time with him. It's kind of like when, when my wife and I are separated and I'm busy and I'm working, we text and we do phone calls, but that is not a replacement for quality time, just the two of us being together. And I think part of the reason God gave us Sabbath is so that we would just have deeper and better quality time with him. So please hear, I don't, if you don't hear anything else about Sabbath, I want you to hear this. It is not a have to, it is a get to. If you're hearing this as, oh, here's another religious and spiritual obligation, you miss the whole point. This is, God is giving you an incredible gift. It is a get-to that he says one day a week, it, you don't have to be productive, you don't have to get anything done. This is a day just about rest and family and filling yourself up and being with me.
So here's what I want you to do in our last three or four minutes. On that first word, prepare, I want you to jot down three or four things that you go, okay, if I was going to, and by the way, Sabbath could, the Jews, you know, started Sabbath on Friday night at six o'clock and then went to Saturday at six. So it doesn't have to be just all day Friday. It could start Thursday night and go through Friday. But I think for you to identify, okay, what day of the week might be an option for me to consider as a Sabbath? Even if right now you don't start with an entire Sabbath, block off a half a day or block off six hours and at least get started practicing this practice of unplugging. But I want you to write down three or four things that you go, okay, I would need to do these things in advance, like maybe prep a meal or you know, move a meeting so that I could actually have a block of time where I could practice Sabbath, all right? So I want you to think about your life, your schedule, and I want you to write down three or four things that you go, to prepare to unplug, I would need to do this. All right, let me wrap up. If I were to go back and point to one thing that has been the single biggest game changer in me becoming healthier as a person and as a leader, it would be the practice of Sabbath. And who would have, Pastor Scott and I were talking about this earlier, who would have, like it seems like it ought to be the easiest command in the world to obey, right? Like you don't have to do anything. It's just a day of rest and recalibration. And, and yet I think for us, especially in 2024, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And so I don't want to minimize how big a challenge this is going to be for you to actually implement it. So your assignment, should you accept it, is to finish filling out the rest of that sheet before Pastor Scott speaks on it next week. And I want to challenge some of you. Go home, have a conversation with your spouse, with your family, and basically look each other in the eye and go, we got to do this different. The way we've been living, it just leads to burnout. So let's figure out a way. Let's make some radical changes. Let's say no to some things. Let's pull our kids out of a couple of extracurricular activities if we have to. But let's get serious about living this rhythm of life so that we live from a place of rest. Doesn't that sound good? All right, let me pray for you. And then, Scott, you come back and dismiss us. Lord, thank you for the time Thanks for every person who's just been willing to invest a little extra of their afternoon to focus on these really important things. Lord, we love you. It's an honor that we get to do this, and we want to steward our lives well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.